0: We are talking about this incredible book called Acts, the Acts of the Apostles of Jesus Christ. It's really just a continuation of the Gospels. It's the story of our Lord Jesus Christ. After he leaves, he promises the Comforter. The Comforter comes on that day of Pentecost. You remember Pentecost? Penta fifty days after the feast of first fruits. Feast of first fruits was the, the the Sunday after uh the, the the Passover and so what happened on Passover Jesus died what happened on first fruits Jesus arose what was the first fruits of well in 50 days they celebrated the the gathering of the harvest uh and and the the Holy Spirit comes and the harvest is about to be reaped for at the end of a sermon that we're gonna talk about tonight three thousand people got saved Oh, what every pastor would do to have such an invitation and a result. But the church was uh, was born on this day, this day of Pentecost. So if you remember the last time we studied this, there were 120 people in the upper room. Now, I don't think the upper room was that big. So it must have been packed, packed. And some of you are telling me that it's harder to find seats on Sunday. I love that. I think that's the best thing ever. You know what it's going to make you do? It's going to make you sit in the front. we got lots of room in the front. I still don't understand that. You can have kids sing. Everyone sits in the front. When it's just the pastor preaching, everyone sits in the back. I'm getting over it slowly one of these days. I thought what we could do is just have fake front rows that just drop down into the floor. And so the person in the next row is actually in the front row. I'm going to invent that one day and sell a lot of those. So 120 people in the upper room, they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. And then it comes a mighty rushing wind, the sound of a tornado, the sight of fire. It's not fire, but it looks like fire. And it divides into tongues of flame that rest on every person. And then their tongue was changed because they were given the Holy Spirit. They were baptized. They were, uh, and remember John the Baptist said, That I'll baptize you with water, but Jesus is going to baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. And here it is. The baptism. And they started to speak in tongues. You say, what is what is that? Well, they were speaking in known languages. If you want to know my opinion about what happens today and what people call the modern tongues movement, listen to my last message, okay? Uh, we're not going to cover that today, but I'll tell you this. They were speaking in known languages. Remember, Pentecost was one of the major Jewish festivals. They were required to come three times a year to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was packed full of people from all over the world. And they all heard these Galileans, these fishermen, speaking in a language they hadn't studied. They didn't know, and they could understand them. It must have been a powerful day. There in Jerusalem. And then some of the people were mocking. They were mocking the apostles, the disciples, those that were were baptized by the Spirit of God and the church is born. And they were saying, well, they must be full of new wine, which is really funny because new wine is non-alcoholic grape juice. And how do you get drunk with new wine? Well, they were mocking them. They were mocking them. And sometimes we get things wrong, don't we? Sometimes we get things wrong. We don't even mean to, but we do. I read a list of actual doctor's notes on patients' records. Okay, These are actual notes from doctors on patients' charts. And by the way, our doctors here would never make these mistakes. Number one, one doctor wrote, Patient has chest pain if she lies on her left side for over a year. Yeah, I think you would get chest pains for laying on your left side for over a year. Another one said, On the second day, the knee was better, and on the third day, it disappeared completely. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it disappeared. One doctor wrote, The patient has been depressed ever since she began seeing me in 1993. (laughs) Another wrote, healthy, appearing, decrepit, 69-year-old male. Is that hitting any nerves? Mentally alert, but forgetful. <laughs> yeah, I'm not 69 yet, but I'm there. And this one was my favorite. The, the doctor wrote, the patient refused an autopsy. Yeah, I think you should refuse an autopsy if you're not dead. So what would the doctor say? about Peter. Remember Peter? Peter. He had blown it. He had messed up. He had really, really, really uh, done something that he probably felt he couldn't recover from. He denied the Lord Jesus Christ after Jesus said he was going to. Three times. He was fearful. He was fearful. But then this sermon and everything else that happened in Peter's life, most everything else that happened in Peter's life was a man that was fearless. So how do you go from fearful to fearless? What happened? What happened? Well, it's the resurrection, isn't it? It's all about the resurrection. In his sermon, the central theme that we're about to hear, Peter's sermon, he's answering these, these scoffers that are, you know, making fun of the apostles because they're speaking in no languages. Are they drunk? He's going to answer them. But the heart of this powerful message is the resurrection. Okay, We have to make sure the resurrection is central to our preaching, to our lives. Because it's all about the resurrection. So the first thing we're going to see is Peter taking a stand. And and by the way, I'll just tell you this. It's not unusual for Peter to take a stand. That was his personality. But remember, he had failed. He had failed. He was fearful. He, he fled and then he followed afar off, but he denied Jesus Christ. But he was a, typically, God, God selected him, I think, because he was a forward, bold personality. But he had failed, and it's, so it's unusual for him to take a stand for Jesus Christ. But here, he's doing it. He's doing it. And Peter in Acts 2:14 it says and Peter standing up with the 11 lifted up his voice and said unto them now remember this is before amplification i don't know how they did it you know he's speaking to at least 3000 i would say 10000 you know who who knows how many people were surrounding him in the city of Jerusalem This is still the day of Pentecost. They're all, from all over the world, they're there. And he gets up, he stands up. I love it when people stand up. And he lifts up his voice and he says unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock. It's nine o'clock. Here he is. He's defending the apostles. He's defending the Lord. And this is something we should all do. One woman that did this well in my dad's tenure and also in mine was a wonderful woman that is with Jesus now, Holly Darling. She supported him. She backed him up. She wasn't going to let anyone say anything about my dad. What a wonderful, wonderful quality that is. Loyalty to God's man. And here Peter's going to stand up and say, okay, what you said is wrong. And here, I'm going to tell you why. Listen to what I have to say. Listen to what I have to say. Let me just tell you this. No amount of ridicule should ever deter you from sharing the gospel. Ever. I know that we don't want it. I know that it scares us. I know that that no one likes it. But listen, ridicule isn't going to hurt you. Okay. Do what is right. Take that stand. Be like Peter. First Peter 3:15. It says, "But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear." Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you wanting the Lord to use you? Are you wanting the Lord to allow you to have an opportunity to open your mouth to take a stand for Jesus Christ? Has he done Anything for you? Has he done enough for you? For you to be uh, willing to take that stand, to be bold in the face of ridicule? Well, I'm glad Peter did because of the harvest that came thereafter. And in his sermon, as it is wise for any preacher to do, he quotes from Scripture. That's the problem with most preachers and most churches today. They don't hardly have any scripture they'll talk about all sorts of things and they'll have all sorts of philosophy and they'll sound really good and they might be amazing orators but they're not giving you the word of God they're not and and the problem with that is if you're not teaching the word of God then what what can happen is you can take one verse and make, make it almost say whatever you want it to say but if you know the whole counsel of God you know what the scriptures say then you know that what, whatever you're teaching you can't contradict something that is a clear doctrine of Scripture. The problem most, most churches have is they don't know what the Bible says. So here Peter's going to quote from Joel, and I didn't give you these verses, but you can write this down if you want to look up in exactly what Joel said. The prophet Joel in the Old Testament, Joel 2, 28-32 uh, is where he's quoting from. And he says in Acts 2.16, Peter says about Joel, uh, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, obviously, that was happening at this moment. Okay? He said at the beginning, but this is that. (laughs) This, Pentecost, this this pouring out of the spirit, the the sound of the wind, the the appearance of the fire, uh, them speaking in known languages, in tongues, this is that. This is what Joel was predicting. Now, it's not fully happened. This is just a, just a beginning of the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy because the rest of it's talking about future events that are coming upon the earth that haven't happened yet. But this is all tied into the last days. The last days. When the Bible says the last days, it's talking about those things that are going to happen at the last days. You know, some people think, well, you know, we're, uh, we're going to uh, overheat the earth and we're really, we've really got to cut back on, on carbon uh, burning and, and you know that our problem isn't pollution. Our, and I don't like pollution, but our problem isn't that our problem is sin. Our problem is disobeying God, doing what we want to do, twisting the scriptures. And that's going to cause way more problems than anything else. There is an end to this planet. There's, it's like, it's wound up and it's gonna, that, that uh, timer's gonna go off and it's gonna be the end. And there's gonna be a destruction of the earth by fire and there's gonna be an eternal fire of hell to judge those that have rejected the Savior. It's not what God wants, but that is the reality. So we have the the Spirit is being poured down. And I believe this will be also a hallmark of the end times as well. But then it says this. I will show, verse 19, wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. This is the end. This is the tribulation period, seven years of Plagues like Egypt had, but worldwide and worse. And all of these things are coming upon this planet. It says, and it shall come to pass, in verse 21, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that's, a again, a reference to Joel's prediction, partially fulfilled here at Pentecost. It'll be fully fulfilled at the end of the tribulation. And I believe this is a verse that a lot of people use, and it's in Romans as well that when you call upon the Lord, you'll be saved. And I believe that is true for being saved from hell to heaven, but that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about calling upon the name of the Lord during those judgments for deliverance from those calamities. That's what Romans is talking about. Remember, the context in Romans 9 through 11 is uh, Israel, okay? So I'm not saying you shouldn't use that in the gospel, but that's not really what the gospel is saying i believe if you you put your trust in jesus christ you call upon him in a sense that that he is your savior that you're not trusting yourself or your religion Um, that's okay but don't confuse people because then people think i have to verbalize to be saved or i have to um i have to say certain words i have to go to someone else and tell them i'm saved it's called confess um and the problem with that is what if there's someone that's mute and they, they literally can't speak. Can they not be saved? Obviously, we all know they can be. So be careful about this, but in, in this context, it is talking about a, a deliverance, a physical deliverance from the calamities that are going to be coming upon the earth in that time. So we're in this parentheses right now. We're in this church age. And I love, I love the fact that we're in this church age. Now, when does this church age end? I, I believe the church age started at pentecost we're still in it when does it end well i think it's when the church is taken we call it the rapture and there's there's a lot of verses that talk about that um when those that are alive and remain would be caught up together in the clouds to be with the lord and then begins the seven-year tribulation period but the church really they didn't understand the church yet right this was murky this was a mystery the apostles thought, okay, uh Jesus is gone. He said he's coming back. He'll come back soon, probably within a few days, few months, few years at the most. He, they didn't anticipate it to be over 2000 years. But uh he he's Jesus is coming back, okay? We know that for sure. The scriptures tell us that for sure. And I can't wait for that day, but we're in this this mystery time, this church age. Look at Romans sixteen twenty five. Now to him, that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. It wasn't that God was surprised that Israel didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah nationally, and then go right into the kingdom of God. But he knew they wouldn't. He knew there would be this time when the gospel would be then given to the church, not to the Jews. Uh, the light would be, the, the light bearer is now not Jew or Gentile. It's, it's all those that have put their trust in Jesus Christ, the church, the bride of Christ. But that day when we're the, the torch bearer is going to end and Israel will be given that light again. So we are to love Israel. We're to support Israel. We're to bless the Jewish people. But we have the, the gospel right now. We're given that responsibility to get that out. So let's do that. The mystery, the mystery. The Spirit has been poured out. The Spirit, by the way, in case you didn't know this, is the third person of the Trinity, the Godhead. There's one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And the Spirit has come upon the earth, as predicted by Joel. And then Peter, again, I said at the beginning that the, the center of his sermon and the center of our sermons ought to be the resurrection. So that's the third thing that we're going to see is Peter recounts the resurrection. Look at Acts two twenty two. It says, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. That's a mouthful. Yeah, We'll go back to that. That's an important passage, important phrase to talk about. But Jesus being delivered up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Powerful. He's not mincing words. He's not trying to attract seekers. Well, I guess he is, but to attract seekers, you have to tell them the truth, right? Whom God hath raised up, there it is, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. It was not possible that Jesus would stay dead. We'll explain that in a minute as well. But Jesus did incredible things. He did miracles. He did wonders, he did signs. You say, what's the difference of those three? They're similar, but they had different purposes, different reasons why he was doing those things. But he did so many of those things, didn't he? It was proof positive doing the signs, the wonders, and the miracles that he was, in fact, divinity. Now, some people think that what happened to Jesus He came, he healed, he loved, but then he was crucified. God didn't see that coming. God, they they didn't, they didn't know that was going to happen. No, obviously that's not true. Why? Because God knows everything. God knows the future. He knows what's coming. And, And here it actually uses the words, the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This didn't take God by surprise that his son was crucified, that his son was killed. This was the plan. This was the plan. This was the plan before creation. This was the plan before sin. God knew all of these things that would happen. You say, well, why did he go ahead and create the world if he knew he would sin, even though he was going to redeem some? I mean, he wants to redeem all, but not all are going to believe. So there's going to be people that are in torment for eternity. Why would he do that? I can't answer everything. All I can tell you is I'm glad he did because I get to live and I get to experience God and I could experience his love and his forgiveness in my life. And I'm just glad he did. I can't answer every question. And these are big questions, but God was not taken by surprise by this. This was the plan. Now, Peter preached that just because God allowed it as part of the plan, it did not release the people that did it from culpability. You see what I'm saying? Again, it was the plan, but the people that committed this sin of taking Jesus and crucifying him were guilty of something awful. And I'll just tell you this. It's an awful thing that happened to Jesus. And those that are responsible are terrible, terrible people. And you say, well, who's responsible? Well, it was the religious Jews that got everyone riled up and, and, and got this thing in place because they were upset at Jesus. He was going to uh, conflict with their power and with their authority, with their money. And they wanted him dead. And they had this plan. And they worked it out. And it, and it worked. So is it, are they the ones to blame? Peter's laying blame at their wicked hands. But who crucified him? Well, they gave him over to Rome, the Gentile power of Israel. And Rome uh, prosecuted him and declared him innocent, but still condemned him to death. And it was the Roman soldiers that nailed him to the cross and lifted him up and actually executed Jesus. So you say, okay, it's the religious Jews, it's the It's the Romans. True, and they're terrible people. But who's guilty of the death of Jesus? Remember this, why did Jesus die? He died for my sin. So who's culpable? Who's the really bad person? Who's responsible for the death of Jesus? It's me. It's it's you. Now, Peter can say this, I'm never gonna say that, to a Jewish person because I have no right to say that. Peter could because he was Jewish. And I think some Jewish, I know some Jewish pastors that are very bold, and and I we, we need to speak truth and love. I'm not going to do it that way. I'm not saying he was wrong, obviously. I think he, he did what what he was what, what God wanted him to say. But who is responsible for the death of Jesus? All of us. We're all terrible people. Oh no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not terrible. I've never, I've never murdered someone. Well, good for you. Have you ever hated someone? You've committed heart murder. It's the same thing in God's eyes. Yeah, you, you are guilty. I am too. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. So, even though it was allowed of God, even though it was the predetermined counsel of God for it to happen this way. Those that did it are still culpable, and I, in a sense, did it myself because I'm a sinner. Well, John 10, 18 says, no man taketh it from me. That's what Jesus said. He's going to lay down his life on his own. Lay down myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. And then uh, Peter goes on to say, whom God hath raised up. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, if Jesus had stayed dead, what do we have? We really don't have anything. Now, he did die for sin, but if he stayed dead and he said he was going to arise from the dead, then we wouldn't really have a Savior, would we? Because he wouldn't be God. He, his, his sacrifice wasn't acceptable to God. But he did rise again and therefore he is God, it all comes down to the resurrection. If you ever have doubts about Christianity, doubts about God, focus on the resurrection. If he did, it's all true. If he didn't, we're wasting our time tonight. We're wasting our time. Well, God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death, the resurrection, the first sermon of the church age and hundreds of thousands to follow, the first sermon is about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter brings up the resurrection. And then Peter quotes David. Again, any good sermon is full of Scripture. Here's another quote of Scripture, Acts 2.25. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou will not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Quoting from King David in in uh, Psalm 16, if you want to look that up later, Psalm 16, eight through 10. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with that countenance. Now, is this David? Thou shalt not leave my soul in hell. And by the way, what is hell here? It's the word Hades. Hades is the Greek word. Sheol is the Hebrew word. Both of them mean the place for departed souls. Place for departed souls. I believe there were two compartments to Hades or Sheol. One was for the redeemed and one was for the lost. I think when Jesus arose... He took captivity captive. He took those that were in the uh, Hades, what we'd say paradise, uh, to to heaven. And those that were in Hades, torment are still there until the day that they'll be cast into the eternal lake of fire. But it's not not hell in the sense that this word isn't always hell in the sense that it's it's the place of torment. It's the uh, place where the departed souls go. Okay? It includes the grave sometimes, but it constitutes the dominions of the dead. Ecclesiastes 3.20 says, all go into one place. All are of the dust and all turn to dust again. Isn't that the saddest verse you've ever heard? It's true. Adam and Eve were made from the Dirt of the ground. All you are, if you start to get all proud, like, hey, I really accomplished something. I've really, I'm really successful. I've sold so many books. I preached to so many people. I, you know, I'm really, I'm really hot stuff. All you are is dirt. That's all we are. You can't get too proud if you're just a pile of dirt. And it's true because when you die, you turn into dirt again. It's like true. Okay. And it's depressing. The pronouncement that here Solomon makes is upon all a fallen man. But since Jesus was conceived without sin and since he never partook in sin, his body could not see corruption. It was impossible. Okay? His body was not going to corrupt, to decay. It couldn't. All right, so David is saying all of these things. And by the way, David's body was corrupting at that very moment in that very city, as we're going to see in the next part. Uh, here, Peter's going to speak from the heart. And shouldn't that be what everybody does? Shouldn't we just speak from the heart? Here, here Peter's going to speak, speak from his heart. Acts 2.29, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you. Of the patriarch David. Now remember, David is the guy. For all Jewish people, they, they venerate David and they should. He was an amazing person. Yeah, he had serious problems, but he, he was the, the king that, that, that God wanted. And from him would come the Messiah. And he says, I'm going to start from my heart speaking to you about David. I just quoted him. And David said that You're not going to leave thine holy one to see corruption. You're not going to leave my soul in the place of the departed. Okay? So he says, I'm going to speak freely, here in verse 29, that he is both dead and buried, talking about David now, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Now, if you go to Israel, there's a place that they call the tomb of David. It's not. It's not. I know that crushes you. It's actually really close to the upper room. Some of you might have seen it. And it's a neat place. I don't mind going there, but I don't think that's where he was buried. I think he was buried in the city of David because it it talks about that in the Bible. I think we might have found it on one of our In Grace episodes. The real sepulcher of David. Now, there's nothing there anymore, just a, a grand tomb. Some people would obviously disagree with what I just said, but I really believe that was David's tomb. So as Peter is speaking in Jerusalem, he said, hey, we got his tomb. He's still there. His bones are still there. He's dust. He wasn't talking about himself, folks. Remember the context, how important the context is. Sometimes we're so many years past, we're in a different country, we're in a different culture. We kind of forget the context. Peter is in Jerusalem. David is still dust in Jerusalem. Obviously, David wasn't talking about himself. Verse 30, therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ. That word is the Latinized word for Messiah. When you say Christ, you're not saying the last name of Jesus You're saying Jesus the Messiah, okay? Mashiach in Hebrew. So, from the loins of David, according to his flesh, would raise up the Messiah, the Christ, to sit on his throne. And that's the prediction that the Messiah, we believe, is Jesus, is going to sit on the throne of David for the millennial kingdom and beyond. Verse 31. Peter's sermon continues. He goes from fearful to fearless. I love his words. He's seen this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. He's saying, listen, David in the Psalms was was talking about Jesus. He wasn't talking about himself because he's still there. He's talking about from his loins, a descendant. Jesus was a descendant of David, of the house of David. And that his soul was not left in Sheol and in Hades. And, and so, some people think that Jesus went to hell to pay for our sins for three days. That's not true, okay? He didn't go to hell. He went to, to Sheol. He went to the, the place of the departed. Neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up. Remember, this is a sermon to thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem. And he's preaching the resurrection. Oh. He raised up Jesus we are witnesses of it. Verse 33, therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye see and hear. For David is not ascended into heaven, into the heavens, but he saith, The Lord saith unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand. He's quoting again from David, another place. This is in um, another place in Psalms, Psalm 110. Okay? The Lord saith unto my Lord. Now you'll notice there, the Lord, the first Lord, is all caps. The second Lord is capital L. And you might be wondering about that, right? Especially if you're newer to the, to the faith. The all caps is the uh, the name of God. It's a the most common name of God used in the Bible. It's the covenant name of God. And it's Y-H-W-H. Okay, there's only consonants. You can put vowels in there. I prefer to pronounce it Yehovah. Yehovah. Okay? So we have here the, the name that God used with Moses, right? Uh, the, the Lord, so we're going to say the Lord God, the eternal God, said unto my Lord, this is David. So what is the small or the, the capital L but small ORD? Well, that's Adonai. That's the word Adonai, which is master or Lord. And, and Jesus said that this was the Messiah in Matthew, the Messiah. So the Lord God, the eternal God, said unto David's Lord, which would be the Messiah, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. How do we know this is the Messiah? Because the Messiah is going to put down the enemies. He's going to sit at the right hand of God. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus. Remember the same Jesus that rose again? That same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is powerful. This is powerful. This oath in Psalm 132, 11, the Lord hath sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. This is the oath that the fruit of thy body will, will I set upon thy throne. That's an oath. When God gives an oath, it's an unconditional promise. And it's going to happen. A descendant of David will sit on his throne. Jesus raised to life and exalted at the right hand of the Father. The Lord is going to rule and to reign. Adonai, the the master, the Messiah. Jehovah says to my Adonai, the eternal God of the universe, the great I am, says to the Messiah. And it's a powerful prophecy. And it confounded, by the way, remember the Pharisees were trying to trip him up at the end of Jesus' life? And, and, and Jesus used this in Matthew 22 to say, how could David's descendants, uh, how, how could David call him Lord? Messiah. And uh, again, proving that Jesus was the Messiah himself. So Jesus said that David, who wrote the Psalms under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that the son of David was alive during David's time. How could that be? How could the son of David be alive at David's time and was greater than David? Well, it was true because Jesus is eternal. 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 So when they saw the disciples speaking in these languages that they hadn't learned, they were witnessing the promised Spirit of God, the living Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of Jehovah, the Adonai, had sent another proof of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and his divinity. All there, the day of Pentecost. Now Peter had preached this poignant and pointed and earnest and fiery sermon What is the response going to be? Well, we'll save the actual response to next time. But I'll just say this. It was a spectacular response. His sermon, the first sermon of the church age, showed how God can take someone fearful and make them fearless for the gospel. And if he did it for Peter, he can do it for you. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the Lord God Almighty? The one that created everything? He came, he died for sinful men of whom I am chief. He rose again the third day and he's inviting you to put your trust in him. And if you'll do that in simple childlike faith, you will be saved. You'll be saved from hell to heaven and you'll not perish. You'll have everlasting life. That is good news. That's worth preaching about. That'll turn you from fearful to fearless.